We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, another another good one here. A lot of good questions today, guys. Really good questions. What are we doing here? Give me a flipping break. Which player currently committed <laughs> to another school? For those, for those listening via podcast, that's actually the name of the person who asked the question. Because if you're listening and you're not watching, and the people listen on podcast, they're just going to be like, "Why did Ryan just f- randomly flip out?" And I, I say, should. What are we yes, doing I, here? I, sh- I should have phrased it. Break. This question is from. What are we doing? Are they doing here? Give me a flipping break. Who says? <laughs> Which player currently committed to another school? Do you think Notre Dame has the best chance of flipping? We've talked about this one a ton. I mean, right now it's Caleb Beasley. Yeah. I, I, that's the one. He is obviously out of the state of Tennessee, committed to the University of Tennessee, but there is obvious interest between him and Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Obvious. Notre Dame is very high on him. I think Caleb Beasley is also high on Notre Dame. It's just the momentum of Tennessee being really good last year. The in-state school. That was the pull for Caleb Beasley, but they're staying on him. And I think that he's the clearest guy that I look for. And I say, if there's one guy that's going to flip in the class, I think eventually it could be Caleb Beasley to Notre Dame. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I, I can definitely see that one. And right now there's really not really any other committed guys. They're really on hard right now. Yeah. So it makes it even easier. Yes. Yes. And this one is from Domer TX 22. Have you seen enough to make an early judgment as on Jared Parker as a recruiter? Is it me or do hardly any recruits mention Al Golden in recruiting interviews? Well, we, we, I'll go reverse on this one, Ryan. We started to hear for a little while more kids talking about him and then it yeah. fades a little bit. And, yes. and so it just depends on the kid. We don't hear his name enough because he doesn't do enough. He's doing better than he did last year, but he still doesn't do enough. Kingston has talked about, or Elijah, was it Elijah rushing? that has talked to you about how, you know, Golden's had an impact in his recruitment. He's yeah. talked to Sean, him. And Sean Civiliano also said that Al Golden's yeah. been pretty impactful in his recruitment. So there's so, some, yeah. just yeah. not enough, right? Yeah. And so I think Agreed. Kingston, is, he's had an, he's, he's, he's made a positive impression on Kingston. I wouldn't say he's done a yeah. lot with Kingston, but he's made a positive impression with Kingston. He just, Here's the thing about Al Golden, folks. Al Golden's a really good recruiter when he wants to be. The, the I mean, he was, a, in my opinion, a really strong recruiter at, at – uh, at Virginia 
I think he was a very strong recruiter at Temple. I just think his thing is he just doesn't do it. He just makes the choice not to do it as much as he needs to and, and as dynamic as he can. That's the big thing. That's what it boils down to for me. And, and that's what kind of, to be honest with you, ticks me off because it's like, okay, if you're – if you you know you're not going to be here for four or five years, fine. But while you're here, bust your butt and make sure you leave this place way better than you found it. That should always be your goal when you're a coach, because everybody knows coaches are never. It's it, it the, Ryan. The days of coaches being assistant coaches at a place for 20, 30 years—that's a thing in the past. It is. It yeah. just doesn't really happen. I mean, Mike Elson was here a little over a decade, and it felt like he was a lifer, and then up and goes to Michigan, right? I mean, it just it happens. It's part of the it's part of the deal. But your, your your mentality should be, while I'm here, I'm going to make sure that I can leave this place in the best position I can. I can, And that means yep. busting my hump on the recruiting trail, busting my hump as a coach, and working to develop these young men. And I just – I don't know that I – that I I don't believe, personally, that yeah. Al Golden is giving it his best on the recruiting trail. He's picking and choosing when he is. And that's the frustrating thing because I think he could be a very dynamic recruiter. Yep. So the first part of this question, though, I do think that Jared Parker is giving it his best as far as recruiting Mm -hmm. side of things. I mean, he's it was funny. I was just on the Lucky Lefty show, Brian, and they were asking me about Carter Nelson visiting officially next week. And I was talking about remember we were talking about how it takes like four hours from Sioux Falls to get to Ainsworth, Nebraska, and then four hours back just to get to the uh, just to get to the airport. I'm like, Jared Parker's putting in some work, guys. Like he puts in work. So I, I, I have a. I have a high opinion of him, of Jared Parker as a recruiter. There's no doubt. Like I think that he's done a good job connecting and especially at the tight end position. I really just Al Golden. I, guys, I mean, I, I'm in a situation here where I hope for the best, but I'm going to report the truth. Like that's just kind of right. where I am with it. Right. I, I mean, there's guys that I hear Al Golden's name get caught up, but there's very few, even linebackers in this class that Al Golden's the first name that gets popped up. It's very few. Mm-hmm. It's very few. I mean, that's just yeah. the reality of it. And if, if if for me, that's like the biggest indicator. It's like if I'm talking to Chris Cole or Kingston Villiamoasa or somebody else, the first name that, that's out of their mouth should be Al Golden because that's not only your defensive coordinator. It's also the linebacker coach. Like mm-hmm. He's the linebacker coach for right. your team. So if you don't hear his name associated that early on in a conversation with the kid, it's not great. It's just not great. So that's the yeah. – That's it, man. That's where we are with it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everything I've heard about Jared Parker's recruiter is very, very good. Very yep. good. And and um, 
I think that's going to end up being a, a net positive. We just like, again, we're in a situation where he kind of inherited a guy in his first class. They got Jack Larson really early. I think a lot of fans aren't as high on Jack Larson as I think they should be. And so he's not getting as much credit for that one. You know, we'll see. He, I'd like to see him close on, on just as a position coach. I'd like to see him close on a Carter Nelson, but next year's the year where I'm going to really say that's the year I'm evaluating and judging Jared Parker right. on his abilities to tie. Get me James Flanagan and Nate Roberts type of two man class. And, you know, or if you get Carter Nelson this year, then get me one of those two studs next year. And yeah. now I'm saying you're, you're, you're continuing this elite recruiting tradition at tight end. That that's what I'll well, say. If, if Notre if Notre Dame gets Carter Nelson and Jack Larson in 2024, I don't want to hear a word about recruiting for Jared Parker. I'm yeah. like, yup, that's yeah. pretty dang good, man. That's pretty but good. But I want to, you know, I want to see him stack, right? That's the thing, yes. Ryan. Right? We're talking about stack. So okay, now you don't need to get me two in 25. Get me James Flanagan or Nate Roberts or something. You know, and there are some other guys that I haven't watched yet. Like I haven't watched CJ Nixon for all I know. He's every bit as good as those guys. He's like guys. a basketball player. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. My yeah. point is like it's that high level type of guy. Whether it's yep. those two guys specifically or someone else like them, uh, those are those are those are going to be be very very important very important yep. to that aspect of it. All right, John A. once said, "Can Michael Bell make an Im- a freshman impact?" Yes, he Probably can. Special teams yeah. more more well, than defense, it, most likely. But yeah, corner Ryan. It, it's here's the thing on Michael Bell. I'll make it as simple as I can. It's going to all depend on how quickly he can figure out the technical part of the game because he can fly and he's a pretty tough kid for his size, but he's short. I mean, he's 5'10", probably Ryan, you know, maybe 5'10". So, and he's raw, very raw. So he's going to have to learn how to play the game. The fast, the thing about Benjamin Morrison is he kind of knew how to play, right? Christian Gray knew how to play Christian, you know, so that's why you expect him to play as a freshman. Cam Hart needed a couple years to figure out how to play corner because in high school, he just was athletic. Yes. I mean, he just got yes. by on athleticism as a corner in high school. So he needed time to learn how to play. Mike is going to need time to learn how to play. But when you're that fast, you don't have to be the world's greatest technician to be able to find a role. Uh, I, I I think special teams, perhaps as a freshman, could he play as a corner as a rookie? Absolutely. It's going to be harder because it's such a deep position group and he is raw, but I'm not going to be shocked by anything a kid that runs a four, three does at this point in time. It's just, I don't, and I don't expect it. And so if he doesn't make a freshman impact, I'm not going to be mad about it. Like, Oh gee, maybe he's not as good as I thought. He was always going to need work. Always going to yeah. need to work. Christian was always the guy that you tagged as the guy that could potentially help out as a freshman. Agree. Agree. Yeah. I mean, he's technically, he's technically refined. That was the big yeah. thing about Christian Gray. I, I think Micah, I think there's a path, especially on special teams for me, John, where I looked at it and I say, yeah, I want the four, three kid running down on punt and on kickoff. If he can physically hold up and potentially help you in the return game as well. You know, you give him a chance to like, Hey, if he can handle it, like, let's see if he can return some kicks, do that type of thing. So I think special teams for me, cause that's one spot where, there's been some points over the last couple of years, Brian, where I'm just like watching and I'm just like, man, they just look more athletic on special teams. And Notre Dame looks athletic on special teams mm-hmm. as far as like the coverage units is concerned. Right. I mean, I saw flashbacks to what was that year with Ohio States? Will Fuller. Was that was that 2015? 15. Was it 20, 
15, where it was just like they were just moving at a different speed on special teams when Notre Dame was moving on. Like, it wasn't even close. That happened last year a lot, man, where I'm just like, they are just, they just look faster on special teams than Notre Dame. So where should there be a biggest plus? I mean, we talk about well, the, the return that, Notre Dame's kick return team. Like them covering on Notre Dame's kick return team last year. Like I felt, I felt like they were just. just Come on, Ohio faster. State. Last year, I mean, I, I think there was a couple teams last year that kind of okay. popped to me. I just want, I'm yeah. not. I just wasn't sure what you're because I'm thinking Ohio State's special. one of them. I'm talking Ohio about special State's teams. I'm like, hold on a second now. Notre Dame has no, first, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the I, kick return about, team, like, pump block or anything. Yeah, I'm, talk, I'm talking about the Got coverage it. units. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Agree. So, Agreed. So, so I, I think that people always talk about like where are all these great linebacker recruits and corner recruits and wide receiver recruits like where are they going to make their biggest impact on offense or defense? And I'm always like, hey guys, like they they're going to play special teams too, and that's going to be a big increase as far as length, athleticism is also going to be on the special team side of the game. So I really think that he's one of the guys where I look at it and say that could be a guy that could contribute on special teams. Like Preston mm-hmm. Zitzer could be a guy that contributes Drake Bowen. Like there's a bunch of guys where I'm like, that guy could be a special teams help and could make your team a lot more athletic and a lot longer. Yeah. David Carpenter with the super thank chat. You. Thank you so much, yeah, David. Thank you, David. Happy Friday, Brian and Ryan. Thank you. Based on what you have seen so far from the new offensive line coach, what strategy would you guess he is pursuing? I'm confused from what I was used to, but I'm no offensive line expert. What say you? I would say the same. I'm a little confused. I'm not sure what they're doing, to be honest with you. And now I'm not going to crush them for it yet, Ryan, because I'm, I'm kind of in let's let it play out mode. But right now I have not been in love with what I've seen from from Coach Rudolph. I don't quite understand some of the decisions they've made. I, I don't understand the decision not to recruit uh, Caleb Brewer anymore. I don't know what they're doing at tackle, to be honest with you. I yeah. don't know. Meaning, I, I don't know what they're doing. Me, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to figure out. Like, are are you know? Do they love Styles? Do they love Grant Bricks? Are they you know where is is he pushing for Gearby? I, I really don't have a clue. Part of that's not Notre Dame's fault. Part of that's because like Gary Lambert doesn't really talk to us or hardly anybody, and his high school coaches are very unhelpful and uncooperative when it comes to trying to help get a, a read on things. It's fine, whatever it is, what it is. So, and it's and it's such a bad O line class generally nationally, Ryan. That it's just kind of like yeah. this isn't the class I'm making a strong opinion on Joe Rudolph about. I'm just not. I mean, he inherited one kid. He got a kid that he really wanted. It okay. I, it, I don't know that I could say I know what I feel about Anthony Knapp and I'm yep. not that high on him, but I also don't feel like I can judge Joe Rudolph. Cause I don't know him well enough to say like, if Harry, he were to take a guy like Anthony Knapp, I probably would give him the benefit of the doubt. Even I would say what I feel about him, but then I'd give him the benefit of the doubt because it's Harry. He I don't know Joe Rudolph well enough to do that or not do that. Right. I, I don't can't and, say that I, I know I, him well enough to say, mm, nope, don't trust him. That's what I'm saying. I want to see him let it play out a little bit. I want to see him yeah. let him coach the season. I want to see kind of the moves they make over the next six to eight months on 25 offensive linemen, which so far seems like a much better O line class. Yes. So I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be a little bit more. Let's see it play out and let's give them a year. It's what a lot of people asked us to do with Al Washington last year. So I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, so I can say I'm concerned right now, but I'm not going to crush them like we did out Washington last year because, you know, look, I, I, I think it's fair 
first year of a guy, you know, let's see what he does in, in year one, have your evaluation and see what he does to build on it. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that from some of you. And so we'll do that. And so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm concerned about it. I don't agree with some of the moves being made, but I also will admit that it's early and his first year of class, it's just not a good year nationally. I think there's a lot of factors that might make you say, Hey, look, let's just, let's just let it play out. Let's maybe give him, let's see what he does in 2025 class as well. And, you know, cause if he goes out and gets like Owen Strebig and, you know, David Sanders, I mean, there's some oh, real, man. I mean, dude, we've seen some dudes in the 25 <laughs> class. In the offensive every, line. Go, every guy, every guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. there's some dudes like, okay, now, now I feel better. You know, yes. maybe he just didn't love some of these kids and they've got so many kids on the current roster that they were fine. Just taking three and, you know, and then just moving on to that. Maybe that's true. So I'm going to at least let it play out a little bit. And, um, but if you're going to do that, I need you to start seeing you get early involved with 25 kids. And, and they, I mean, look, when they, their last open period, he almost saw almost exclusively 25 kids. He went out and saw sure. a t- couple 26 kids. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and let it play out a little bit and see. But yeah, so far I'm a little confused, but I guess I'm just not as upset about it as maybe I would would be last year or was without Washington, partly because they were guys to be had that were dudes last year. Yes. I don't know that there's a lot of dudes on the board on the offensive line. Nationally, period, that you could go after like 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 there were, in my opinion, on the defensive line last year. So that that also factors a little bit into it as well. And, and the other weird part, Brian, is that Joe Rudolph never had – like he had a good recruiting background as well coming into Notre Dame, right? Like, I mean, he has a pretty good resume when you talk about like landing some top recruits historically. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not jumping off the bridge because yes, he took a player in this year's class and I'm not incredibly high on, but you know who else did that? I wasn't a big Christopher Terry guy in last year's class. Like I wasn't a big Christopher Terry. Let's see what the rest of the class looks like though. Cause 2023 still ended up being a really good group in my opinion. Because you still landed four other good guys, and, like, and that's the thing. You're always going to have guys like that, but you, but you also you got Charles Jagasaw, who we loved. Yes. You got Joe Odding, who we loved. You got Sam Pendleton, who we I think both grew to love. You got Sullivan yes. Absher, who we both think has a lot of upside. The only question with yeah. Sullivan Absher is where is he going to play? Exactly. I mean, I think Ryan and I both like him more at guard than 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 we do tackle. Notre Dame likes him a little bit more at tackle. We'll see how it plays out. But guys, talented, and so if 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 they had in this class, like if Caleb Brewer's committed and Gearby Lambert was committed and they took Anthony Knapp, I'd have a completely different opinion of it. I have than, no problem. Yep, right. No problem. But now yep. you pass on a dude that I'm very high on to take him. You better get that right. Yeah. You better well, get yeah, that I mean, right. You, you have to, you have to get now Gerby Lambert and yeah. Grant Bricks or Styles. Or Prescott Styles, right? or, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Like you have right. to figure that out. So right, and, and I like Styles Prescott, but he's not a guy that makes everything all good now. Exactly, like, he he's not like that. Gearby is, yes, but Styles is not. He's a good, solid prospect with some tools, but he's he's a he needs work. Yep, he needs work. Which I'm okay with on the offensive line, right? Like I don't mind taking prize. Notre Dame is not going to need a tackle from this class that's played next year. You know what I mean? In 2024. And I think most offensive line recruits are aware of that too, that like it's mm-hmm. a longer road. I mean, I was talking to Charles Jagasaw the other day and Charles is just like, yeah, I mean, if I play, I play type of thing. Like he doesn't have the high expectations as far as like starting as a freshman. And it's like, that kid was a five-star recruit. Like he probably should mm-hmm. have expectations, but just where you are. Wade Garrett, we had a super chat. Wade, thank you so much. He said, have a great weekend. 
uh, holiday weekend, everyone. You as well. Eat some great food. We'll try. Have some drinks or Mountain Dew for Coach D. And God bless you and your growing family, Ryan. Thank you so much, Wade. I really appreciate yeah. that, man. Yeah, it's very kind of you. We had another super chat from Raymond Harton. Raymond, thank you so much. He says, just for support, thank you guys for all, the, all of your hard work. Good luck with the young and Ryan. And yes, that's my southern accent, LOL. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> it, man. Appreciate it. Uh, all I know, Raymond, is this is definitely Brian Kelly's burner, obviously. It definitely has yes. to be. So. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another super chat. Thank you so much from Just Your Ordinary Joe. Ryan, Ari, your work schedule, uncertainty of the immediate future. My only humble advice as a father for is a quote, let it play out. There you go. There you go. My man, Joe. My man, Joe. Yeah. He's also one of the OGs, Ryan. Joe's been around from the beginning. So, uh, yeah, we we saw him in a game. He had an uh, an IB shirt on and then lifted that IB shirt on and had another IB shirt on. Nice. nice. So, Joe's my dude. That's my dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that, Joe. I did want to bring up this question down here, Ryan, which is a, a, a good one. It was about um, – because it is it is Memorial Day weekend. Yep. And uh, obviously um, this is a, a – a, a, for me, as, as – um, you know, I lost my grandfather several years ago. He fought in World War II. It's something I'm very proud of, um, his service. And, and you know, I'm, everybody knows I'm a big history buff and, and obviously World War II and stuff like that. But Douglas Ra- uh, Road Roundabouts asks, in honor of Memorial Day, what is your favorite war- World War II movie? I have a confession to make. I haven't watched a ton of World War II movies. In fact, first time I watched Sa- Saving Private Ryan, I think was in like the last year. I'm, I'm more a of a one, documentary though. guy. It was yeah. very good. I'm yes. more of a documentary guy when it comes to like, war and stuff. Like I, I don't necessarily, not that I dislike them, but I just didn't watch a ton of movies. I mean, I've, I've seen some, I'd say if I were to say my favorites, I, I it's two older movies. It's, it's Midway and Patton. I thought Midway was very good and Patton was very good. They came out with a new Midway and I didn't think I was going to like it. And I loved it. I thought it was tremendous because the graphics were phenomenal. Like the CGI and it was, I thought tremendous. And the manner in which they told the story. So like they, they wrapped more events into it where the original midway, obviously they, they talked about what happened at Pearl Harbor, but like they had some lead into it. They had um, sort of the relationship that one of the main intelligence guys had with, with uh, Admiral Yamamoto. Uh, They kind of looked, they had some, they had some stuff, more stuff up from the Japanese side of things uh, I thought that the, how they tied in Midway and then some of the other bat, they even included like the Doolittle raid off the Hornet uh, as part of it, like how it all tied together and led to that decisive battle at Midway. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. And and obviously, you know, the, the battle didn't start off well for the United States. I mean, cause they just had, they just had um, like the United States. I felt from, from what I've read, not what I felt like I was hanging out at the time studying it, but what I've read is the United States had phenomenal pilots, but they had they had subpar planes early on, and uh, and it was really a lot of the success on Midway was some of it was luck, some of it was just you know pilots sticking to their guts. Like one of the things that led the, like the first couple waves of American planes just got obliterated, and because uh, they had it's like it just it was it, it didn't start off well. They didn't have air cover, and then the the torpedoes weren't working. The dive bombers didn't have air cover, so they were just getting picked apart by the zeros and like got no hits. When the first big assault happened, be, the, they had lost the they had lost the Japanese fleet, and some 
some like destroyer got was kind of way behind and was trying to get caught up with the rest of the fleet and they saw it and they followed it into the fleet. They just stayed behind it and f- they saw its wake and followed it into the fleet. And that's when they first started having success. And then they were able to, and there's some debate about the accuracy of this, but the, the, the thought is that when the Japanese thought that the United States was going to be in Pearl and that they thought that there would be time well, the Japan, the United States had broken their code and they knew Midway was a target. So they were actually there. And so when they found out that the the, car- the United States carriers were there, because at the time, United States was down to three carriers and the Yorktown was badly damaged because they had lost Saratoga in uh, I forget which battle. But one of the one of the battles in, in Asia, like over in the Asia, like the Southeast Asian areas, they had lost a couple carriers. Saratoga got sunk. Uh, I think Lexington got sunk. So the Yorktown was the Yorktown Hornet and Enterprise, and, the, and Jap- Japan at the time had like ten carriers, and then there were five in this fight on Midway. And so um, they were gonna originally, I, I think it's they were originally going to have they were gonna have like the dive bombers to attack Midway because that was a, a big supply line for 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 the uh, um, for like Pearl in the in the United States, and so uh, they decided to redo like to take off the the. And, Put torpedo. I think it was like put torpedo bombs on there. I think, or they they were going to change basically the type of bombs they had on their planes, and so then that gave the United States time to find them and hit them. And one of the carriers actually had. They were in the middle of doing the changeover, and they just dropped one, just one bomb dropped it. And it dropped right into the to where all the ammo was, and just just destroyed it. And so they sunk every. They sunk. I think it's like four. Actually, they had four in this fight. I think four carriers, and they sunk all four of them. And that completely changed the the tide of the war. But a lot of it was just they had great pilots, and and uh, both sides had great pilots early on. But then Japan's strategy of kamikaze ended up just wiping out their good pilots, you know, and um, and that was part of it too. But United States could just produce so much quicker, right? And that was the big thing is like they went from three carriers to like thirty, thirty plus because the just the the uh, industrial might of the United States. And part of the reason Japan wanted to fight the United States was, or they did that is because they, I think it was something like 80, 90% of their oil they had to import because they just don't produce oil on Japan. And so the United States was making life tougher on them. And they thought that by doing this, it would allow them to open it up. And once they lost that battle and they, I mean, they just couldn't produce the way the United States could. And so um, that was a, a huge change, but like all the stuff that documentaries around that are great. But the the Midway movie, right? I don't know if you've seen it. It came out in the last, like, I think three or four years. It's really well done. I would encourage you to watch it. If anyone watched the original, it's different than the original. The storylines they they do a really good job of sticking to the historicity of it, which I which I love. And I thought Patton was a great movie too. I'm a big Patton fan, but I haven't seen a ton of I haven't seen a ton of World War II movies to be honest. Like I never saw Band of Brothers, this TV series Band of Brothers. I never saw that. I haven't either. Um, um, so, but yeah, there's, there's, I've seen a lot more revolutionary war movies than I've seen, uh, world war two movies, but Patriots, the Patriots, probably my favorite revolution. It's my dad's war favorite, man. I think we talked movie. about that before. My dad yeah. loves the Patriot, man. Yeah. <laughs> he loves that movie. Yeah. And I thought this, the John Adams, uh, series on HBO was incredibly well done. I think my dad's and, seen that as yeah. well. And much more well. historically accurate than the Patriot was. 
Yes. So I, I believe that. <laughs> I, believe, yeah. I definitely believe yeah. that. And they yeah. never said that it was a historical movie. It was, it was an entertaining movie. They, they yeah. I mean, Benjamin Martin's character was fictitious. They weren't trying to pretend that it was a real, it's, it was a real yeah. story. Historical fiction. I mean, right. I, that's exactly. That's, my, my wife loves that type of genre as yeah. far as like, um, like books and stuff. Like she loves reading yeah. historical fiction. So I dig it. Yeah. I dig it. Saving Private Ryan is a great one though. I think yeah. that, that is a, it's a crowd pleaser. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good one, and I it's we should, not we that I, do a, we should do a podcast on just Tom Hanks movies. That would be fun. That would be fantastic. <laughs> it's a lot of shows. It's a lot of shows. Yeah. All right, let's get back on track here. Johnny one says, "How difficult is it for a coach to teach young quarterbacks to go through his reads and progressions?" It depends on the kid. I mean, it, look, with yeah. all, so much of this stuff, John, it depends on the kid. Some kids are really pick it up quickly, and some need time. It it really does. Usually by the end of your freshman year, kids should start to figure it out at the latest the end of your freshman year. But sometimes it really takes a kid two full years in the system to really get it down. And, you know, that's not abnormal. Uh, that's why experience matters. I mean, I can promise you that Trevor Lawrence was doing a lot more from a read standpoint in 2020 than he was in 2018. Oh, sure. Right. I mean, yeah. they kept things yeah. pretty basic for him in 2018. He was just so physically gifted and his talent around him was so good and the schedule was so week that they could do those basic things and then by the time they got to the playoff he had a lot more experience and could do a little bit more than he maybe did earlier in the year but uh even a guy like him ryan you weren't doing a uh, you weren't doing like 15 full field reads a game with him in 2018 yeah. well the, so, fr- the frustrating thing about uh the frustrating thing about trevor lawrence is there's some reads sometimes where you're like Dude, that is not where you're supposed to go against cover two or cover three. But then he would still fit it in because it's just like, gosh, right. like, what do I do with that type of kid, man? Like, what do well, you do with him? I think that's it's... something that's hurt him in the NFL a little bit, Ryan, to be completely honest with you, because in year one, I don't sure. think yeah. the coaching at Clemson was great. I don't think their scheme was great. I don't even think in his junior year that they had him doing a ton of NFL reads. Like it's a very college-oriented offense, or at least was a very college-oriented offense, and that's why you know I think we started to see him figured out a little bit more this year. Yeah, and it's like a big jump this year. Big yeah, this year. and I yep. think there's there's more there to be done by him as far as making jumps because I think the physical part is he's starting to figure that out more, and I think the other th- aspect of it too, Ryan, is I think he's understanding how much more important like timing is. Yeah. And so what I think you're going to start to see as he gets more experience, I think you're going to see him start to make more plays. I mean, he threw for over 4,000 yards. Again, it was 17 games, but you know what? 25 touchdowns, eight picks. You're going to see him start to, to be even more impactful throwing the ball down the field and, and uh, making some more of those tough plays. Um, Sometimes those guys that are like Superman, you know, like they can just do, Whenever they want to, that's the one thing about Caleb Williams, Ryan, is I think that some people don't talk enough about Caleb is not the most, he's not the best quick game thrower of all time. He's not the most like anticipatory thrower of all time. You know why? Because he can do what he did against Notre Dame and just like, I'm going to look, I'm going to look, I'm going to look, you can't tackle me. I'm going to break a tackle. Now I'm going to spin out. Now I'm going to throw in the run. Like it, he just, he can play the hero bowl stuff that sometimes those kids they need maturation early on in the NFL. And some guys can get through it, like Trevor Lawrence, for instance. Other guys are like Zach Wilson, where it's like, just can't do it. Like, just can't do mm-hmm. it. It's just gone at this point. Like, the window is gone already. So, yeah, I think that some of those guys that are those hero ball, 
Superman type of players that can do that can make things magic happen sometimes rely too much on that in the college level. That's just kind of what yeah. I think. Like, I don't think Caleb Williams was incredibly on time as a passer consistently last year for USC, but he could just do some things where you're just like, all right, I can't teach that though. Like, I can't teach a kid to be that talented. Like, I just can't. Mm-hmm. So he has that innate ability, which Trevor also had. He was incredible when things broke down. Irish blooded. It was the Battle of Coral Sea. So Irish blooded put that in. That is correct. I think that's the one where they lost. I'm pretty sure they lost Saratoga and possibly Lexington. I think both of those battles. So yeah, they were. Uh, so I, I couldn't remember which one it was because I remember the Philippines, the Battle of the, the uh, Philippines, the Philippine Sea or whatever. Uh, that was one where it was a a, a, a wipeout, but. It was the uh, that's when I was going to say earlier, but that was actually the Americans had a lot of success. That came after Midway. The Americans had yeah. a lot of success. There's a lot of people saying movies that are that are, that I want to see. Um, uh, so All's Quiet on the Western Front is an old movie that they redid. I've seen that. I think it's like on, I've seen that. I haven't book. seen that yeah. one yet. I heard it was really it's a good book too, right? Isn't it a book? Yeah, I yeah. Think I've read the book as well, and it was yeah. a much older. I heard it's really good. I want to see yeah. it. I, have you? Did you? Did you like it, Ryan? I think I did enjoy it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time, but yeah, I'm pretty sure I did yeah. enjoy it when I watched and it. And I, yep. I also want to see Dunkirk. That's one that I've been wanting to see. I, I just haven't had time haven't seen for Dunkirk. it. That was another interesting one that I want D- to see. Dunkirk's the one where it's like very, I, I think that their camera style was like very like first person where like they're just uh-huh. running through battle and all that type of stuff, right? Like, wasn't that Dunkirk? Is that 19, that I think like that's that? 1917. Is that 1917? Could be. That's Could the be. one where the British soldiers are trying to, they have to get uh they have to get some kind of thing to a to another like to the front line or to the garrison or something oh, like that. that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen that I, one either, I saw, but I, I saw the behind it. the scene filming of at least yeah. one of those where it was like yeah. very like first person running yeah. in stuff. Yeah. That was 19 set. Now I, I think there's some of that in Dunkirk as well, based on what I saw in the previews, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen the previews for that one yet for, uh, I mean, I haven't seen either one of those yet, but I heard, I heard Dunkirk was really well done. I just haven't had a chance to watch yet. I will at some point in time. Y'all don't realize I work a lot. Y'all. I, don't, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I want, there's a lot of movies I want to go see. Uh, I want to, there's a movie like, out now I want to go see called Nefarious that I've been dying to see. I just haven't been able to make time to go see it. I need to go see that one here soon. As we well. used to get so we used to go to movies all movie the time, man. We just don't have time anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't have time. So, yeah. yeah, it's not that it's too expensive. It's just me and Ange, and we have like a we have a membership know, there, so they're not as cheap. But I just don't have the time. I really yeah. don't. Now, somebody asked if I'm going to go see the new Oppenheimer movie. Maybe. I'll probably that one's probably one I'll, I'll probably wait till it comes out. I don't like some movies you need I, I to see. I did see the previews for that. I saw yeah, the it looks very interesting. I, I don't know if that's one I'm going to go see at the theaters though. That because like the way I decide that is some movies you just got to see in a theater, like the Avengers movies. Those are just you got to see it the first time in a theater, right? Like yeah, Maverick the first you got to see that one in a theater. Some movies I'm like I can wait till that one comes out. Like you know yeah. my wife's like let's go see this rom com. I'm like yeah we can wait till it comes out on TV. <laughs> we don't need to go see that in a theater. I'm good. I'm good. All right. Let's um all right. Here we go. Last, last, let me ask this one, Ryan, because I, I don't know that I have an opinion of it. Rank the different uh different racing options you refer you prefer to watch, either in person or on TV, NASCAR, Indy, Formula One, or horse racing. None of the above of for me, sir. Right. So <laughs> I'll answer that one. I don't particularly care much for horse racing, to be honest yeah. with you. I'm not a fan. I've never watched Formula One. I've watched some NASCAR races. Just doesn't do it for me. I'll tell you this though: I loved as a kid watching the Indy 500 because uh, it's always around Memorial Day weekend, correct? 
Yes. I used to yeah. love watching that as a kid. I don't know why I liked that, but not NASCAR. I have no idea why. I've tried to do the NASCAR thing. It just, I don't know, maybe because the cars were so cool looking. They weren't like just normal car, like looking kind of cars. But uh, I, I did. I haven't watched an Indy 500 in decades, like since I was a kid. But I loved watching it as a kid. I really did. I thought it was really cool. And I'm trying to remember the guy's name who I was a big fan of. He's an older guy, like AJ Foyt or something like that. But I used to always like watching him. But because, um, you know, you always pick your favorites. So even when you're a kid, yeah. like, oh, that's my favorite for some reason. But I, I did I did enjoy watching Indy 500 as a kid. I've, I haven't watched it. I don't watch any others, to be honest with you. Yeah. I've, I've never been much of a racing guy. In I've heard NASCAR is really cool to, to be at in person. It's just not something that interests me. I've, I've heard that as well. But then I saw the Final Destination movie, and that ruined it for me. Okay. That ever <laughs> what happened there? It's not one of those ones where something really bad happened and somebody yeah. – Yeah. I forget which Final Destination it was, but they were at a uh, – they were at a – race and then like a car like went off the tracks and a bunch of people died and there was an explosion mm-hmm. and all that good stuff so yeah 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 there's another war movie that came out that i wanted to see and i haven't and i'm trying to remember the name of it it was the same guy that was sort of the jerky pilot and maverick was in this other one and i think it was no it was actually a korean war movie actually now that i think of it but i'm um, trying to remember the name of it but it looked really good too. It's the it's the uh, the the guy in it is the guy that plays uh, Kang in in the new in, in um and I can't remember the name in, of the um, movie in Doctor Strange. That, that no, he plays Kang. Well, all of them. he played it in Loki yeah. and yeah, and then also in Ant Man and the new Quantum Mania, which I haven't seen any of the new um, Avenger ones. But yeah, I cannot remember. I can't remember the name of it. I can't I can't remember the name of it. I have to go look it up. But it, that looked good too. But the problem is I looked up what happened to the, to the lead character in real life. And it made me not want to go see it. Cause I knew I'd get sad. So I was like, man, I don't want to watch it now. Cause this is going to make me sad. Someone said, I haven't watched a NASCAR since rookie Bobby won at Talladega. That's fantastic. Now that was my favorite NASCAR race. Yes. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Bobby's so funny. I'm going to have to watch that. That is great. So funny. That is great. Question from Nate M says with Notre Dame's new focused on long athletic kids. Is it safe to assume we'll size up better than years past when we face the Bamas, Georges, et cetera? And will that turn into better results against those teams? Well, okay. So, so, so can we separate Bama and Georgia real quick a little bit? Because Notre Dame's played two games against Georgia and they've lost by combined seven points. And they had the ball with less than two minutes in each game with a chance to win. Okay. It's Bama that's dominated Notre Dame. That's it. I mean, Ohio State hasn't dominated Notre Dame like they did, like Bama has. Bama dominated Notre Dame. Notre Dame had a chance to win in both of those games, and if they had a better quarterback in both of those games, they'd have won. So Notre Dame has matched up just fine with Georgia, and then they've played. Now, would they match up as well with current Georgia? I don't know. They've had some teams that would not match up well against current Georgia. The way they're recruiting now, do I think they will match up better with Georgia if they have to play each other the next couple of years? Yeah, I do. Good enough to win? We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that's not an easy game to win for anybody. But I think to the specific question that Nate's asking, Ryan, I think that's part of the reason that they're doing what they're doing is because that's the way to match up with those teams to where you don't try to beat them with a bunch of try-hard guys and then two or three studs, which is basically what Notre Dame was kind of doing in 2020 against Bama. It's like a bunch of try-hard guys on defense, and then you know, you've know you got your you've got your Jeremiah Usu-Koromo and your Kyle Hamilton, but then the rest are mostly just try-hard guys. 
Yes. Right. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get more of those really long guys, Nate, to your point, to your question of, hey, look, maybe not all four of last year's defensive linemen pan out. But if two of them do, they're going to be really good. Maybe not all the guys like Cole Mullins and Brian, uh, Bryce Young and, and Logan Thomas pan out. But if a couple of them do, you're, they're going to be really good. And, and they're basically saying if we're going to err on the side of a player, we're going to err on the side of the kid with those physical traits that we look for as opposed to the kid who's a great high school football player but just maybe lacks the, the length or the size or the this thing or the that thing to really be that high-ceiling guy. So like a guy like J.D. Bertrand is at the very least going to be exactly what he is, a three-year starter, a captain, a, a really good football player, just a guy you want. But then you don't want necessarily – like I think Jack Kaiser is a, a pretty is a very underrated football player. J, I think J.D. But in an ideal world – You've only got one of them, and they're surrounded and flanked by a Nolan Ziegler, a Jalen Sneed, a Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, yeah. Jalen. Right? That's that's the thing. It's kind of like Notre Dame's been. This is the problem with Notre Dame. And Nate, you, you, you've, you, this has sparked something in me that that thing's great point is Notre Dame has had the perfect team in the last ten years. They just haven't been able to have it in the same year. And here's what I mean by that. With J.D. Bertrand, it's like he's a really solid player, really solid player. Jack Kaiser, but, but they're not flanked by that Jalen Smith, Jeremiah Wusukor, Moa type of guy. Then when they had like Jalen Smith, they didn't have a J.D. Bertrand type of guy at Mike Landbacker. You know, Dan Fox is not that – J.D. Bertrand's a much better football player, in my opinion, than Dan Fox was and Carlo Calabrese was, in my view. If you could have had a J.D. next to next to him, then maybe you'd have that. And we can do this about everything. Oh, those years they had those great old lines. They didn't have a great quarterback in a passing game. The years they've had a really good passing game, they didn't have a very good defense. They just sure. have never been able to put it all together. But to your point, I think that that the more you focus on physical traits over maybe some of the other things, I think the greater chance you have of getting more elite level players on the field than the other way around, where you're trying to beat them with a couple elite guys and a bunch of really sound tryhard guys. And I think that's the difference. They're they're taking more chances on the ceilings and and being willing to risk that some of the floors aren't as high. That's how I read current recruiting compared to way way it was. Ryan, do you agree with that? And and to yeah. answer his question, I do think that gives them a better chance as long as the quarterback is good enough to then line up against the Bamas and the Georgias and the Ohio States and to win those games. But the only team that they need better results against in regard to being competitive is Bama. They need to learn to beat all of them because they haven't. But I think that's something that's helped them with Clemson last year. It's because they could literally line up against Clemson and say, we're bigger and we're better than you. And no one else you've played this year is bigger and better than you. But we are. And there's not a dang thing you can do about it. That would not have happened in 2021 or 2020 even. You know, um, they couldn't just line up and run. They had some big plays, but they they had a very balanced attack against Clemson in 2020. If they couldn't throw the ball in 2020, they don't beat Clemson at, at home, in my opinion. It was the big plays down the field that helped them win that game. And so, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a good observation, in my opinion. It's a good observation. Well, I, I think there's some I think there's some position is especially that you've looked at at Notre Dame and you've just been like that looks a lot different than what Georgia, Alabama, those types of teams are trotting out there. I mean, I think of defensive line. I think of linebacker. Until the last couple of years, I would say cornerback was also a position that I look at and say, like, you know, it, there was a 
I mean, like even Julian Love and Troy Pride, that was a really good cornerback group. They still look physically different than like Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes, for instance, right? Like it just looks a little bit different. It just looks different. Linebacker looks different than some of those other premier programs that we've seen over the last few years. Defensive line certainly looks different. I mean, if you compare Notre Dame's defensive line over the last couple of years to like a Georgia, for instance, the reason that Georgia has been so good, in my opinion, Nate, is that it's not just Jalen Carter. It's not just Jordan Davis. It's not just Devontae Wyatt. It's those guys come out and here comes Michael Williams and here comes Bear Alexander and here comes Warren Brinson and here comes, they just have so much impact size in certain, in certain positions that I just don't think Notre Dame has right now all around, you know, like they just don't, they need to get more of it. They're starting to get more of it. And I think that's great is that the 2023 defensive line class, I think is a great illustration to this question. If you just look at those kids, like as an evaluator or someone just walking past them, you could look at them with no pads on or everything and be like, if I told you that defensive end group right there plays in Alabama, you would believe them because they look like it. They're all six, four plus they're all long. They're all athletic. That's the difference. And I think that that decreases margin for error. The longer, more athletic you get, that allows you to match up and not have deficiencies in certain areas. So, yes, I think that it is massive, and I think it will pay dividends if it's developed properly. Because I don't care how good Bubakar Traore looks in person. If he isn't a good football player, it doesn't matter, right? Because he's not going to make an impact when it all matters and it all said and done. So yeah. that's it needs to be developed. That's the that's the big key, though, Ryan. When you're going to recruit this way, you better make sure you've got very good developers because you can't recruit – Bubakar is a great example, Armel Mookum, Brendan Vernon, Bryce Young, and just say, well, they're just so talented, we're going to trot them out there, they're going to be good. No, they need to be developed. They absolutely need to be developed. That is a a great – and this is this next question from John A1 kind of you know, talking D-line a little bit. I think it's a nice transition into this question. Yeah, John's question, which two defensive linemen must Al Washington develop at their potential in 2023, assuming the player puts in the work for the defense to be good? I mean, to me, I think it's the two guys are going to be playing side by side, and it's Riley Mills and Jordan Patello. I think I think those are the two keys because, and we talked about this yesterday with, with Tim, Ryan, if this defensive line is going to be playoff caliber, those two guys, to me, more than any others, have to be dudes. Now, look, Jason Onye needs to help. Javante Jean-Baptiste needs to be a good player. Howard Cross, all those guys are important. But to me, those two have the most star potential for this particular team. And maybe some more have some, you know, Josh Burnham, I think, has a higher ceiling than Jordan Patojo, but it won't be in 2023. It'll be, you know, he'll be a better player in 24 and 25 than Patojo was in 23, but I don't know if he's going to be better than Patojo in 23. You know, Junior Tuolamaka is going to be important to this defense this year as a, as a key rotation figure, all those type of things. But you need the stars to play like stars. You you, you have to at least have guys that you, – you at least have some guys that can kind of play big in those big games. And I don't know that the 2018 defensive line had any individual stars, but they were really good across the board, and they were money. Khalid Kareem was money. You know, I mean, that, and that's the thing for me that they're going to need. So they're going to need a couple of those guys to step up and be dudes. And I think those two guys for me are the highest ceiling guys for 2023. 
in my opinion. I'm not sure what yeah. you're, would you add, would you add Baptiste into that conversation or are you comfortable? I, with, with I, would, I wouldn't. Cause I, I just think that he's a six year kid. That's a little bit closer to his ceiling. Like he just hasn't played a ton. Right. So mm-hmm. it's more of a volume perspective. I don't think that we've, we definitely haven't seen the best of Jordan Patelho. We still have no idea a hundred percent of what we're going to get from Patelho and Riley Mills. I, I think Riley Mills was a good player last year, but I don't think I've seen anything close to as good as Riley Mills could be. So that would be the two picks for me as well. It's like Howard Cross is what Howard Cross is. He's a good player. Javante Jean-Baptiste, I think, is closer to his ceiling, though, than like Riley Mills and Jordan Battelhor are. I think that the, the, the jury is still out of both those players, and they could be potential game changers. I mean, I would not be shocked if Jordan Battelhor has 10 sacks next year. I also wouldn't be shocked if he has five because it's just like – He's not a full-time player. Like he's just mm-hmm. he's a rotational player. So I think that those guys are vital. And Riley Mills transitioning inside and making plays and being impactful is huge for Notre Dame. I don't think we talk yeah. about that enough. That we need Riley Mills to be good in 2023 if you're Notre Dame. Andre Tonsil, uh, so are you guys going to do a breakdown on all the teams on Notre Dame schedule this summer or in the fall? Yes, we will do that. It'll be later in the summer. Uh, we'll do some things as we kind of get into like we're going to have a lot of team breakdowns. So we're obviously working on the schedule. We're going to actually start our position group breakdowns next week. Vince and I are going to actually do a show on Tuesday, starting with quarterback. And so we'll do we'll do position groups and then we'll do other like areas where we'll start breaking down the team. So that's going to start next month, which starts next week. But what, when and Sean's already started kind of uh, so Sean Styers has already done two interviews now with opposing uh, beat writers. So he's doing that angle, talking to – and I think uh, – was it – USC was yesterday, I think. USC was yesterday. Yep, and then last that. week, I think it was Ohio State. So he's doing that there. But we will dive – we will do our dive into the opponents as we get closer to the season. So it'll be sometime in July when you get it, Andre. And then, of course, we'll have some stuff on the team. And we're going to have some fun with it. We're going to break it down by quarter. So like quarter one, so that'll be games one through three and then four through six. We're also going to do what we did last year, which will be fun, like the all-opponent teams and – you know, who has the best back, you know, ranking the backfields, ranking the offensive line. So we're going to have some fun with it. Uh, but honestly, right now, would and I'm not saying, Andre, you're not asking us to do this now. I'm just explaining why we're going to do it later because there's so much portal action, Ryan, that still is going to happen with kids picking schools that, you know, it's like I want to let all that dust settle a little bit. And then yeah. as we get into July, that dust will be settled and then we'll have a better idea of what the teams are going to look like. And it'll help us. So we'll like we'll rank the schedule then, and we'll do all that stuff. So we'll have a lot of opponent stuff coming up this summer. Uh, we're going to focus first in June on recruiting, obviously, but also when it comes to the the team stuff, which we'll be doing a lot of team shows. We'll be doing, um, you know, we'll be doing position breakdowns first, and then some other thematic stuff about the team as well. So um just wanted to answer that question here real quick and some people are saying dunkirk was bad that makes me sad because it looked the, the the it's a great story first of all but the previews look good so that makes me sad I, I, that you guys are saying it stinks that that um, makes me not want to watch it as much i probably still <laughs> will watch it at one point in time but um that's that's a bummer that's a bummer John A1 says, can tobias merriweather be a physical at the catch point with playoff level secondary players can he? Yes, he can. I mean, he's tall, and I, I think J- John, like he's, he's going to be a year older. 
He's going to be a year in under Coach Bayless, obviously, and be able to really fill out his frame. He's going to be six foot four. He's going to be two hundred and five plus pounds at the start of the season, more than likely. So yeah, he can. I think he can. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to see it. Obviously, we've only seen one career reception for Tobias Merriweather, but if you're asking me, can he? Yeah, I think he can. I think him and Tob- I think him and Deion Colsey could both be that type of guy. I also think. Jaden Greathouse could be that kind of guy. If you're just talking about a physical catch point, dude, like Jaden Greathouse, I have, I have high opinion on him potentially being a guy that if the ball's up in the air, that he can come down with it. So yes, you can. He's got to show it like, like everybody else, but yeah. And I think he's gotten a lot stronger since last year. Could he have done that consistently last year? No. Is he going to look like Chase Claypool in 2019 this year doing that? No. But yeah, he'll be able to do. It. I mean, because he, he's doing it. On, I mean, he's here's the thing that's going to help him, John. He's going to have to do it on every on a daily basis in fall camp and or over the summer because he's going to be going against Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison. So the good thing is he's going to be doing it against playoff level secondary players, and I think that helps a ton. I mean, I've said this before. I think a big reason why Julian Love and Troy Pride were so good in 2018 is they had to guard Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool all season, all summer, and all. I mean, that especially. Poor Julian Love, like Miles Boykin and Chase yeah. Claypool, especially Miles Boykin, just abused Julian Love in practice in the spring and the summer and fall. And it's partly what made Julian so good is because he, like, when he'd get to Saturdays, it's like I've yet to face a group of receivers as good as the guys I go against every single day in practice. That's what's that's why it's important to have a loaded roster, Ryan, because you get to Saturdays and you're like, this is nothing. I've been facing this all the time. And that's like when you're an offensive line like Notre Dame's and you're facing your undersized defensive line, then you go play a team like Georgia or Alabama, and you're like, we're not used to this kind of – but as you get bigger and longer, going back to – was it? I think it was Nate, right? Nate's question, I think, earlier. Yep, yep. Nate when am. you're facing that in practice every day, boy, it makes you it makes you more prepared for those type of things. And so uh, I think those things all all factor into it, in my opinion. So yeah, good. Um, we'll see, right? It's it's gonna be. I mean, it's gonna be important. It's gonna be important. We got a super chat from DJ. DJ just says, "Just saying, thank you, IB. Uh, thank you're you. welcome, DJ, and thank you, my friend, for uh, for sending that to us. So I really appreciate that. Really appreciate it very much. All right. Um, all right. Let's 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 answer this question. From Tomer TX22 says, Does a part of you think Owen Wafel was maybe looking at Michigan more than being insinuated? I really struggle to see how Notre Dame could want to part ways after his his latest highlights. I, I get this a lot, and I think people are trying to justify the decision that Notre Dame made. Notre Dame has backed off kids in the past because they were going to go visit other schools. I don't know why the sources that I talked to wouldn't say that if that's what was happening. Do I think that he wanted to visit Michigan? Sure. What we don't know is why is it because he just wanted to look at Michigan more or was he getting the vibe that they don't really want me in this class and I need to look around. That's what we don't know. We can debate it till the end of time. All that I can tell you is this, that according to my sources, and this is sources that I've talked to on every side of this conversation, Notre Dame did not want him in the class anymore. They just thought that they had better fits and better players. Simple as that. So if, if this was about Wayful looking in Michigan, I think it would be, it would make more sense for Notre Dame to say, well, we wanted him, but. Instead of he, making it look like you dropped a kid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes them look worse to say they dropped it. So I, I, 
I got to take them at their word because the thing that, that, that the people I've talked to are insisting is actually the thing that makes them look worse in this situation. So I, I have a hard time believing that they're not being honest when it would, it would be much easier to, for them to save face and say, Hey, look, we wanted them, but we have a policy and he violated that policy. I mean, you know, he did want to take the official visit to Michigan that, that led to his decommitment, but it was one of those things where that just gave them the out they were looking for to say, Hey, yeah, sure. Do that. My question would be is, is what was the reason he was looking at Michigan? Was right. it because of he just liked Michigan or because he knew already that they weren't wanting him as much? And so um, and that's what he decided to do. Was something said to him at some point in time that made him be like, hold on a second, that was weird. That's what I'm trying to find out. We haven't been able to find that out yet. But I think at the end of the day, the key thing here is Notre Dame didn't want him in the class anymore. It's not a decision I agree with. It's not a decision I yeah. like. It's not what I would have done, but it is what it is. And I, I just, I just also don't know how you got to that decision or that opinion of Owen yeah. Wayful. Like I just, it just doesn't make much sense to me in that regard, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. Very, strange. very strange. I mean, you took yeah. the kid when he was a six, two, 260 pound defensive line, and now he's a six, three, 290 pounder that just had 20 something tackles for loss yeah. and 10 sacks. Like okay. that's what I don't get. Like if you yeah. were going to drop him, you should have dropped him off of his sophomore film when you took his commitment, yes. Yes. you know, but that is what it is. It is what it is. This is a question I'm not sure I have an answer to, Ryan. Stevie Wonder asks, who are the top three defensive coordinators in college football? Jim Leonard is not a defense coordinator right now, right? He's yeah. jobless at the moment. Well, that's the thing is there's there's some of those guys have gotten jobs. Like yep. some of those guys are head coaches now. Like I probably would have had Brent Venables. I, I don't think much of Brent Venables as a defensive court as a head coach, but um I liked him as a defensive coordinator. I think my look, my number one defensive coordinator in college football is uh, to me an easy one right now, and that's Phil Parker at Iowa. I think he's the best defensive oh, yeah. coordinator. In college he's football. excellent. I mean, the, the talk about getting the most out of your talent and development is elite at that school. I mean, they're constantly getting these three star kids no one ever heard of and turn them in. They had two top 20 NFL draft picks off their defense this year, and then the Broncos wow. took another guy in the third round, the DB. Yep. So, and they do that all the time. Riley Moss, Riley Moss. Yeah. So, I mean, Ryan, they do a great job of developing. He he is numero uno on my list without question. There's yeah. so outside of that, you know. I, Did some of these lists of defensive coordinators? Because I'm looking for names, Brian. What this list has Alex Grinch is the seventh best defensive coordinator in college. Football. Are you looking at the same one that some Saturday Saturday down south that has Kevin yes. Steele at Miami number yes, nine, I am. which is such yes, a I joke. Am. My, Pete Golding at 10. Like, this is the problem. You look at these uh, – Ryan's uncle, Ron, at Baylor is uh, is number 11 on that list. I'm joking. It's Ron <laughs> yes. Roberts. I'm just kidding. You know, yes. and some of these are difficult, too, like the Georgia guys, Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann. Like, I'm I'm tempted to say that duo is in my top group, but Ooh. you get down Joe to Ross, those, Joe, the, Joe Ross, he's a good one, though, from Minnesota. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, he's very good. But then you ask oh, yourself, Morgan are Stally they good? from Utah is very good as well. Scally yeah. is very good at Utah. Hey, Ryan, real quick, I don't know if something happened to your mic, but you're okay. now off with your talking okay. and your visual, and you're popping a little bit. So it just started within the last, like, two minutes. So I don't know if you pulled a Brian and hit the mic cord or what, but uh, but yeah, Ryan and I are looking at the same list, and these these lists are really just a joke because you we look at these to kind of you know refresh our memories about uh, who they are. Jim Knowles is a guy that gets a lot of love for top three. I, I got to see more of him to be honest with you. Uh, Morgan Scally, I think is John Heacock from Iowa State's a good one. I think he's a good one. Um, 
I'm actually I don't I'm not putting him in my top five, but I think Tim I think Pete Kwiatkowski is a, is a really solid defensive coordinator. I thought he did a really nice job at Michigan. I mean, uh, what, uh, Washington. Uh, I think he's he's done a, a a solid job at Texas. I think he inherited a a bit of a tough situation, but um, you know a lot of the top guys are are not really their head coaches now. Like Derek Mason did a terrible job at Oklahoma State. Ten years ago, he's in my top five. When he was at Stanford, he's absolutely in my top five. But there's a lot of overrated defensive coordinators too, Ryan. I mean, some of these guys <laughs> in this list, like Mike Tressel, like Mike Tressel is a defensive coordinator for one year, he inherited a great defense. Like, what are we doing here? Like, seriously? Um, so, so, Tony Gibson's a good one for NC State. That's a yeah. good one. He's a really good defensive coordinator. Zach Arnett, yeah. I thought, did a really nice job at Mississippi State, but he's the head coach now. So, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know where I could put him on that list either. But it's a good question. It's a good question. I don't. I don't know that I. I have any. I think Brad White at Kentucky's done a really nice job. I think the last couple of years, he's. I think he's relatively new there, isn't he, Ryan? I, I'm not I sure about that one. Um, but I mean, they play good defense at Kentucky. But then you get into again, like, okay, but is it him or is it because uh, he actually's been there since 2019? But they they have quality defenses. And but is it be or is it because of him or is it because of Mark Stoops? That's always the challenge when you have a a, a, a defensive coordinator that's having success for a team that whose head coach is a, is a defensive guy. I mean, Ryan, last year, Kentucky went to a bowl game and their offense averaged 20.4 points per game. You got a pretty darn good defense when you're with a, with a second round quarterback as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give me a freaking break. So I, it's a good question, Steve. I'd have to think about that one. I would really have to think about that one. All right, let's get down to some more here. Here's one from Coach Bent. Coach Bent said, would you rather Notre Dame stay on NBC, what they would have complete say on the broadcast team, even if they were employed by another network, i.e. BQ or Notre Dame Picks Network with no say in broadcast team? The broadcast team to me is not at my top priority. It's fun. But for me, since I don't necessarily always watch the games and I can easily mute it if the broadcast team stinks, what matters more to me is the quality of the broadcast and whether or not that that organization really values you. And I have never felt like NBC. Well, I don't know. I shouldn't say never. It, since Notre Dame started, since I started covering Notre Dame, Ryan, I don't think that I could say that I felt like NBC valued Notre Dame. The, the quality of the broadcast never improves. They use Notre Dame as like their minor league system. They keep putting these guys like Jason Garrett and Drew Brees in there that they're trying to get ready and promote for the next level. And and now we've got like Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett. It was such a bad broadcast this year, in my opinion. I just mute it. Doug Flutie for all those years. I've never felt that they they had good broadcast teams, but that's not my biggest problem with NBC. I can mute those guys. My biggest problem with NBC is the quality of the product, the production value I've never felt was very good. And so I think that's the bigger issue for me. I just never felt like Notre Dame was a priority to them, to be honest with you. So I would still rather go with another network, Fox, CBS, somebody like that, that is going to do a better job with the quality of the, sh- of the game, the production of the game, the view of the game. I care a lot more about that than the broadcast team. So to your question, Coach, I would rather them pick another network, even if it means I'm not, I can't guarantee that I'm going to have a broadcast team that I like, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, because I, 
Someone just said it's the minor league of of announcers on NBC, right? So it's like exactly it's, that's what they do. They 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 either get these names that they employ that that don't yeah. don't do NFL anymore, like Doug Flutie, or they get some guy that they're trying to like. They're, let's use Notre Dame games to give Drew Brees his chance to learn on the job, so he can then come and be with us next year. And same with yeah. Jason Garrett. It's Ugh, just, Jason yeah. Garrett was the worst, though, man. Jason Garrett was the worst. Yeah, it's like Notre Dame is like their their. This is our our um, test dummies practice squad. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Test dummies. That's exactly you know, and and they just never put value into the production. To be honest with you, yeah. So yeah, I'm not. I, I would rather them go somewhere else. I absolutely would rather them go somewhere else. So I, it's just me. That's my that's my stance on that. I have strong feelings on that one. We had a question from Timeout Tom who said Carter Nelson has the ability to play multiple positions. Could you see Notre Dame taking him as an athlete with position options rather than purely as a tight end? I, I mean, I, I think that they would take him as a tight end, Timeout Tom. I don't think that they would recruit him as an athlete. I think the only reason that you would recruit him as an athlete is to try, try to justify taking a t- second tight end if you don't have the need for a tight end, right? But I, I really do think that he's a tight end. He's going to be – do I think that he could play defense? I do. I do think he could play defense, but I do think that he is a much higher upside at tight end, which is why you recruit him as a tight end. Yeah, agree, agree. Uh, see, John's got a lot of questions about uh, support staffs and coaches. Tell you what, John, shoot me a text or an email, and because that's a good that's a good topic to to discuss, but it's not one that I'm going to have a good answer for on right now because there's so much coaching turnover. I couldn't even name all 10 coaches at some of these schools. So that's a very good question on that. He asked about the top 10 coaching staffs. I, I'd have to look at that one. I'd have to think about that one. So ask me ask me that one. Uh, send me a text or an email, and then I'll put that on my list, and we'll, we'll put that on either the summer, either for this show, or we may do it on CFB Nation, one of the two. We'll, we'll break that down. It'd be a fun be a fun, uh, fun one to do. Absolutely fun, exercise. fun to do. Yeah. Yep. We had a question from Coach Bentz, 574, says, if you could only have one deli meat from Boar's Head forever, which would you choose? It isn't the only thing you can eat, just the only Boar's Head product. That's a tough one for me. I'd, I'd probably go oven-roasted turkey just because like, I don't really I eat love, that much deli meat, to be honest. So I yeah. love their roast beef. I love their roast beef. I just don't know if I could eat roast beef as my only like turkey. I could just, I know I could, if I could only eat turkey, I, I love turkey. I would eat it all the time. Roast beef. I got to be sometimes in the mood for, but I'll tell you my favorite deli sandwich. I make it, I make it at home is I'll get a nice piece of either French or Italian bread, get some provolone cheese and I'll get, um, uh, just a quality turkey. I use Dietz Watson here because it's the best that I can find. I can't find boar's head around here. I know people said that there's boar's head at like Kroger or something. I don't shop at Kroger. It's kind of far away, but uh, it's a decent, it's a decent meat for around here. And I'll put actually turkey and roast beef together with provolone cheese. I'll bake, I'll toast it. And then I'll, um, or I'll bake it, I should say. And then I'll put lettuce on it. And that's a, that's a tasty sandwich, dude. That is a really <laughs> tasty sandwich. But if I can only pick one of the two, I'd probably go with turkey. That's probably where I would go. Does Coach Bent work for Boar's Head? Sounds like it's I don't a know. big Well, I had brought up one time that, that oh, how much you? I love Boar's Head in a show. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Big fan of Boar's Head meat. And my wife, my wife's dad used to be a distributor for Boar's Head. So, yep. Yep. Stevie Wonder. Wow. 
Thoughts on Kyle McCord, five-star rating out of high school. How did, did how did you grade him out? I liked Kyle McCord coming out of high school. I just never thought he was a five-star. I thought the five-star thing had more to do with Ohio State than it did him. I, I liked him. He was a top 100 guy for me for sure. I, I like Kyle McCord. I thought he's a decent athlete for a pocket guy. has a nice arm. Doesn't have a bazooka for an arm, but has a nice arm. Through a through a good deep ball in high school. I haven't seen him do that a ton in college just because I haven't seen him play a lot in college. I didn't see him do it a lot in the, blue, in the spring game. But, um, you know, good accuracy, good decision maker, guy that can can move around a little bit. He's not a runner, but he's got some pocket mobility. I think he's a good quarterback. I do. Uh, is he going to be C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields? That, Ryan, I don't know. Yeah. But he's he's got good ability. I liked him. He's, he's a PA kid. He came out of Pennsylvania. I And I've said this in the past. If he would have jumped in the portal, I'd have looked at him. Uh, you know, absolutely in the past, I looked at him. Not now, because where they are now, but I absolutely would have looked at him in the past. Brian, he is actually a New Jersey guy. Give it credit, okay? He may I have he went to school, school in Philly. In, yeah, he yeah, played high school. He went ball to school at St. Joe's in Philly, but yeah. he is a New Jersey guy, my friends. He is a New okay, Jersey well, guy. He needed to go play good football, so he moved over to Pennsylvania. I get that. Yeah, it totally makes sure, sense. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> But no, he's he's a he's a good player. I liked him coming out of high school. I did. Yeah. I don't, again, not a five star, but a very good quarterback. Very good quarterback. I think they'll I'm be sure. fine at quarterback I'm, this year. I'm sure he'll do well. Yes, I'm sure yeah. he'll, do he'll well. put up numbers for sure. Will he make game winning plays? That's always the question mark, right? With a new quarterback, but he'll, they'll, they'll they'll put up numbers, especially when you look at the receiving core. He's going to be throwing to and the running backs he's going to have around him. So he'll he'll be fine. It's going to be insane, man. <laughs> the what. Cornell Tate's probably going to be their fourth or fifth receiver to start the year, right? Where it's just like, yeah, man, (laughs) man, yeah, pretty good, absolutely. Stop it, absolutely. Stone Adore says, What would Freeman's Notre Dame career need to look like for him to make Notre Dame's head coach Mount Rushmore top four coaches in history? Personally, I'd have mine as Newt Rockney, John Leahy, Errol Barsegian, and Lou Holtz in that order. I think the only debate you could have is Leahy and Rockney one or two. I mean, I, th- I think I think there's there could be a cases made that Leahy's dominance was even greater than Rockney's. Now, part of that is because Rockney was building the program up a bit. Not that the program wasn't good when he. You know, I mean, I think they were pretty good when he played at Notre Dame, but Leahy was. I mean, they had a four year stretch where they didn't lose a game. That's pretty good, you know. Yeah, and. Well, um well, in order to answer this question firmly, yeah. though, it's like, who do you take off of there? Because that, that's well, how you it, measure it, right? It would be it's Holtz. Like, I mean, I, I think it's, it be it's fair. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to say Coach Holtz because I think when you look at Coach Holtz's tenure and you compare it to Eric Parsegian's tenure, for example, you know, look, Coach Parsegian won two titles. Coach Holtz won one, and that's ultimately what you're what you're judged by as a college football coach. You know, you're judged by your your wins. I think that Coach Parsegian also had much greater consistency than Coach Holtz. Uh, again, inherited different scenarios, but you know, Coach Holtz's first two years weren't very good, and his last three years weren't very good. His six years in between were pure brilliance. But I would also argue that there was a couple teams under Coach Holtz that probably should have been better, or you know, maybe won a title. There were some people argue that that '92 team had no business, you know not being playing for a title, you know, losing those games. Um, so they, they had a couple teams like that, but I think for him to, you know, where, where, so I'll put it like this, Ryan. So uh, coach Holtz went, went 130 and two. 
in, in his tenure. And I think he was there for 11 years, right? So see five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. 130 so he, and what? What was his record? 130, 100 wins, uh, 30 oh, losses, 30. two it. ties. Yeah, Got it's it. confusing. Yes. Coach Parsegian went 95, 17, and four. So he, he would have had to go five and 13 over his in his next two years to match, to, to be down, to have the same record as Coach Holtz. Now, he was there, I believe, um, also for 11 years, but they didn't play as many games. They only played like 10 games a year. his record, his worst, worst record ever was eight and three. And in that year in eight and three in 1972, you know, they lost to number nine, Nebraska, number one, USC and Missouri, you know, and um, now what some people will, I think maybe counter with, and I don't know if it's already been put in the chat, coach Holtz tended to play much tougher schedules than coach Parsegian did as well. I mean, they had some of those years, very tough schedules. And that was one of the knocks on coach Parsegian. I don't know if I'd accept it or think it's valid, to say, you know, just some of the teams they played weren't as good, but they played USC every year, and USC was great back then. But I mean, it was nine and one, seven, two and one, nine, oh, and one, eight and two, seven, two and one, eight, two and one, ten and one, eight and two, eight and three, eleven and oh, ten and two, and he won two national titles. He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine top ten finishes. Coach Holtz went five and six in his first year, eight and four in the second year, had a six, five and one season in 94, nine and three and eight and three were his last two years. He had one, two, three, four, five top 10 finishes. So, yeah, I just, I, I think you have to go with, I, look, Lou Holtz is my favorite Notre Dame coach. I mean, he, he's, he was the guy I grew up loving and following, and I have a phenomenal amount of respect for Coach Holtz. And I, I but I'd be even willing to bet you that Coach Holtz, Holtz would answer the question the same way that I just did, which is, you know, Air Parsegian won more titles, and that ultimately at Notre Dame is what you're is what you're evaluated on is rings. So, so, so the ba- well, what do you have so to the do? The baseline is two titles and hundred victories, right? At Notre well, Dame, in more than six years of dominance, right? I mean, right. it's that's what he'd have to do, in my opinion. The other way to surpass Coach Holtz is let's say he's here ten years, and he only wins one title, but he has more years of that that dominance that coach Holtz had from 88 to um, 88 to 93 Notre Dame and Miami were without question, the two best teams in college football without question. The difference is, is Miami won more titles and Notre Dame only won one, but I mean, they were Clemson and Alabama of the, you know, of the 15 to, you know, 19 type of, of stretch. So longer dominance and, and, and a title or two titles is, is what I would say. Coach Green will have to do to be on that uh, to be on that Mount Rushmore of of coaches, but yeah, the first three are no brainers. Like Dan Devine's not on there; he had a title, but he's not on there. He had that one season, and he built that all. He won that off more off off Eris players, and and he didn't have that level of dominance. It's those four, and honestly, if you're going to say who the next one would be, it'd probably be Brian Kelly. But he's yeah. not even in the conversation because he didn't win a title or even really competitive for a title. You got to win a title to be considered that at Notre Dame. And so uh, title and then consistent because like you can't if you because like they win in a title doesn't get him on there, Ryan, if he's not if it's not a bunch of other great years, if he just has like that one magical year like Ed Orgeron has with the rest of his resume is just eh, then he's not yeah. on there or less. Miles you know, or, yeah. yeah, then right, he's Dan yeah. Devine. You've got to have consistency of you're really good for a period of time and win a title to be on that. Now, list. now let's but, talk about the Mount Rushmore of LSU head coaches. Can we do that? <laughs> If you want, <laughs> no, I don't want to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whatever. Ryan Kelly's yeah. on there already. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. 